Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I am your host, Chris Flaming, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Amber Saunders to the show. She is a founding partner of Nello and Sanders based in Atlanta, Georgia. The firm helps people enhance their lives today and secure their futures tomorrow in accomplishing their cherished family legacy goals. In the practice areas of family protection, wealth preservation, and value-based planning, they keep clients' loved ones out of court and out of conflict. All of this while finding time to author a book and help communities to get a leg up on college preparation testing. So Amber, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So you have a really interesting history of how you came to be where you are today. So take me through that and what led you to starting your own practice where you are now. Um, Someone asked me that this morning, actually. I think I ended up starting my own practice because I knew I was going to be a terrible employee. So um, (laughs) me too. (laughs) I I knew it. I knew it wasn't going to work too long. So I just skipped that part, that learning part, and just went straight into it. I was always going to be a lawyer. My mother always says that I, uh, she said that I told her when I was like five years old. So to me, that means I was meant to do it because it was the first thing I came up with. Um, But I didn't know that I was going to get into estate planning and all of the things that I was doing. That just ended up happening after I originally, because of law and order and all those shows, I thought I was going to do criminal defense. And I went to court, my client went to jail and I started crying and I said, well, I'm not doing this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Figured out some other things and ended up here. So, okay. I got into it. So is there some things, so if you could go back in time and talk Mm -hmm. to the younger you, are there, is there something that you would tell that younger person who started that business? Um, Here's the advice I give you. Are there some things that you wish you knew then that you now, that you now know today? I think it's, probably like this for all business owners. Like I, I knew how to, from law school, taking the bar, doing all those things, I knew how to be a lawyer, but mm-hmm. I didn't know how to be a business owner, a law ah, firm owner. So good point. I would have from the, instead of just hitting the ground running, trying to practice law, finding clients, doing all those things, I would have taken more time to figure out running the business of the mm-hmm. law firm because mm-hmm. that's where most of the mistakes came from. You can be a great lawyer all day, but if you don't know how to manage the practice and manage clients and bill correctly, so you're not doing all this work and not getting the paid and all of those things, like figuring that out was the biggest learning curve. Yeah, yeah, that is that is so true. Um, I think about someone who really is good at baking pies, and so everyone tells them they need to have a pie business. 
but then they go into business and then they just like making the pies. They didn't yeah. like everything else that went along with it. They had to learn all that stuff along the way. So how, how did you handle that then? I mean, did, did you bring in people that had that expertise? Did you just do it yourself? Did you hire as you went? Up. I yeah. screwed it up along the way. I screwed it up. I took every course I could probably take through the process when I realized I was screwing it up. Now I have help and that mm-hmm. makes all the difference. But in the beginning, yeah, I didn't. I just was, oh, I got this. This can't be that hard. Right. Yeah, actually it can. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, you got through law school, so you should be able to do everything else, right? Right. I was like, yeah. no, this is nothing. So I did it that way for probably like five years. Mm-hmm. And then I've went through a couple they have like boot camps and different programs. And so I ended up just going through it. I mean, I read every book. I read the E-Myth for Lawyers. Michael yeah. Gerber wrote A Lawyer. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I've read all of those things and, I mean, figured out. I think it's the same. It's the same for everybody. Um, it comes down to systems. And like if you can't duplicate, not really duplicate yourself, but if the business can't run without you being there all the time, you don't really have a business. You have a That's right. job. Yeah. And so it's like, well, okay, I need to write down, I need to be in the business of writing down everything that I do mm-hmm. and everything that every experience that I want the client to have, how I want them to feel so that everybody's on the same page, expectations are clear. Because part of my problem was I hadn't had employees, it was just me. Yeah. And so even when I did get help, it wasn't like I was clear on the expectations. I just thought, hey, they'd be right. resourceful and figure it out. And then yeah. people are frustrated because they don't know what I expect from them. Right. Just regular. I'm sure every business owner to somebody yeah. goes through it unless they, you know, they learned it from watching someone else. It's just right. part of the growing pains, I think. Yeah. Well, I think you came through it really well. Um, is there a easy way to explain? And I know that sometimes this is tough for attorneys, but is there an easy way to explain uh, why a comprehensive estate plan is so important? So like what it does, what it accomplishes. So the best way for me to explain it, I think in a simple way is through a story. Okay, Uh, great. So my grandparents, my grandmother got married to my step-grandfather, Whiskers is what I call them. Um, Okay. And so he did not have a state plan. He didn't think it was important. Like nobody left him anything. He didn't care. My grandmother over plans for everything, quote unquote, according to him. And so- my grandmother had healthcare directives, power of attorneys, naming my mother and my uncle, all of those things. Okay. My grandmother ended up having a stroke and that turned into dementia where she would, would start mm-hmm. forgetting things. But because yeah. she did everything in advance, they were able to go to her accounts. They were yeah. able to make sure that um, her insurance would send out um, nurses for her care mm-hmm. and things like that because she needed someone to be in the house. And so they were able to take care of her. That nurse ended up taking care of her and my grandfather, my step-grandfather also, but all of those things were taken care of during her lifetime because even though it was an estate plan that she thought I may not, may not need these things, she had an emergency. And during her life, those things were able to kick in for her. Yeah. But my okay. grandfather, I mean, when he passed away, there were people, his, um, the kids that he had prior to his marriage to my grandmother were going into the bank accounts when they weren't supposed to. People were putting post-it notes on things like, mm-hmm. like that didn't belong. It was just the, the oddest, craziest thing because yeah. they thought that there was money there or whatever it was. But if he had just taken care of some of that stuff when my grandmother went to do it, yeah. then we would have been able to avoid it. Then when my grandmother passed, everything was able to transition the way she wanted. 
my mother and my uncle didn't have to go to court because she just set it up in a way that made it easier for her loved ones. Yeah. So that, that's so powerful. Like just that having the forethought and doing the planning in advance reduced so much conflict and so many problems later on when it was time for those things to be done. That's a great testament to why you are passionate about what you do. There's something really interesting that I saw on your website I want you to talk about. And I'm ignorant. I don't think I know what, you, what this means, but uh, can you elaborate on the concept of value-based planning for me? Yeah. So when I think of value-based planning, I think of one, just as an entrepreneur business owner, we know that people don't, we can think that a product or a service is great. But if whoever's supposed to be buying it doesn't value it, mm. then it doesn't, they're not going to pay for it. They're not going to, there's no, not going to be any urgency. And mm-hmm. I found that a lot of people, when talking about estate planning or a will, they don't really think it's a big deal because they don't understand the value okay. of what okay. it is. Mm-hmm. And so part of my job, I think, in communicating with people and sitting down and doing the free sessions that we do is explaining to them that it's not about you, it's about your loved ones. And if that is what's most important to you, then mm. how do you show that? Do you leave them with a cabinet full of bills that are that they don't know what to pay from what not to pay? Yeah. Um, just explaining the value and how this can not just be about death, but about life. So mm-hmm. while you're alive, how can it be valuable to you? How can having these kind of conversations with your loved ones enrich that relationship? If you tell me having to sit down with my mother to do her estate plan freaked me out, but it made me also appreciate she's still here and I still have time to spend with her. And it makes you value the time that you have with those loved ones mm. um, more. So I think talking about death doesn't have to be a morbid thing or a thing that freaks people out. It can make you value life and make you want to live it to its fullest while you're here. So we try just to create an environment where people understand that value and communicate that to their family members and just make it a different experience, not just one where we're talking about. So instead of just doing like some documents, it's making a connection between what the person deems to be important in their life, the most important things in their lives, and how the planning they can do or lack of planning would either align with positively or negatively with those decisions. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that does that often get them to are they more likely to act when they make that connection, do you think? Absolutely. I think the connection has to be there for someone to do it. Otherwise, okay. it's I mean, there's sometimes people come when an emergency happens, like right. they saw something else happen. Yeah. And I think that makes them feel like they need to do it, but it doesn't right. necessarily make them feel Right. Like they need to do it. So yeah. I want them to feel like they need to do it as well as understand that emergencies can happen and it not just be like a triage emergency. Right. Hey, can you meet us at the hospital? I think they're still conscious enough to sign the documents. Right. 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 So is there something that you like best about your business right now, Amber? My favorite part of what we do is at the end, the documents are signed. We went mm-hmm. through everything. And for clients who choose it, we do legacy interviews. So okay. we have a list of questions that they get in advance yes. that, and they come in and we record them and they leave okay. it it's almost like a time capsule for their loved one. Yeah. So they do it by interview or for some people, we purchase this book. Um, my father got it for me about, got to be 20 years ago. And it's called A Father's Legacy. And it's okay. a journal that family members have that parents can give to their children and it, you go through it over a year. So like in January, he started and it talked about his childhood 
February oh. it talks about love. What did you think the first time you saw my mother, et cetera. And it's like them writing a letter to you, but wow. it's in a journey. And so we give that to parents to be able to leave for their children if they want something long. So we give something to them so that it's not, because leaving things is not just about your assets. It's about who you are, what your values are. Um, those are things that you can pass down as well. And so we want to record those, not just, you know, what's in your IRA. We want to talk about, well, who are you and what was it like for you growing up and things yeah. like that. I bet those videos are so powerful mm -hmm. when they people are. do them. I bet they're emotional and yeah. Emotional for me. I'm crying too, but at least I'm not crying at the right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. You're, yeah. You're crying for, because you have an emotion, the impact emotionally of interviewing the person. Yeah. And they're so passionate about it. So are there, are there specific areas? Um, this is kind of a similar question, but all the areas that you guys practice in, are there, is there a specific area of your practice that you get the most enjoyment from? It's definitely the estate planning. Okay. Estate planning and business, because at, at heart, again, I'm an entrepreneur. I love being around people who are starting businesses or figuring out those things, solving problems. But those are my two, probably. And do, do you think there's a big misconception that the public has or people have about your line of work or what you do? Absolutely. I think that even in both, this is what I found in both business law and estate planning is that mm -hmm. with different automated systems, not to talk poorly about getting documents online, yeah. but it's just not the same as being able to work through a problem and speak to someone. And mm -hmm. so because people are starting a business and they might not have money to, to, to spend, they're yeah. afraid to go talk to someone. And so then okay. they create documents that cause a problem for them, or I don't really have a lot of assets. I don't want to pay for a, someone to draft a will. And then it doesn't do what it needs, what they need to be done when the time happens. And yeah. so an emergency comes and this document is useless because they wanted to do it themselves. There's some mm -hmm. things you just can't do yourself because if it's that important to you, again, it's the value. If yeah. you love people that much, do you really want them to have some template document that you got, you paid $200 for? Right. Or if you're building a business that you care about and you want to create a legacy and build this thing, are you going to try and do it on the cheap or you want yeah. to do it right? So it, to show that you care about that thing. So I think those are the misconceptions that you can, you're either going to pay up front or you're going to pay at the back end when it's messed yeah, up. Yeah, right. Yeah, because yeah, it probably costs more done improperly. It's going to be more costly to fix it or, or not be able to fix it and then get out of it um, right. than doing the work up front. Absolutely. Okay. And um, when you meet with people for the first time or your initial meetings, what do you think are some very common blind spots or overlooked areas um, when it comes to business or estate planning that they don't see or they're not thinking about? Okay. Um, I think that with business, people don't realize, like I didn't, that they really do need a team, that mm. there are some professions that you don't necessarily need or that people don't traditionally feel like they need support. Maybe you're a consultant and you're the person doing all the work. Yeah. But I feel like we as human beings in general perform better when there's community, when we can bounce ideas off someone else. If you're the only person you're listening to, I don't know if you're always going to be able to have the best perspective because the only right. way you're looking to is yourself. Yeah. And so you can't see the blind spot because you don't think there is one. You're convinced that this is my, you know, a great product. I had, right. I used to do this conference called FailCon. I had the license for it in Georgia. And I remember one of our guests 
came and he raised all this money because he created a device for the medical profession because he wanted to help them with automation and things like that because his father was a doctor and used technology. And so he felt like, okay, well, this will take the medical profession into the next century. Well, and when he, he raised all this money, he made this product and no one would use it because mm-hmm. he said doctors, he found out after he rolled it out, they liked writing things down. They didn't like yeah. using all that stuff they were used to. And so it wasn't something that people would use. And so he had spent like half a million dollars of his own money and yeah. all of this money trying to build, but he did it by himself because he knew yeah. he didn't test it. He didn't ask his market. Right. He didn't talk to doctors to see what they really needed because he felt like he knew. And mm-hmm. I think that happens if you're just doing things by yourself and yeah. not really trying to find whether it be mentors, other people to bounce yeah. things off of or creating a team. It's amazing what we can convince ourselves of when the only other person we're consulting with is ourselves. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's easy to do. So I'm curious if you have like a recent client experience. Um, yeah, obviously, for confidentiality reasons, you know, you can uh, alter a little bit. Uh, where it was really, really satisfying to you, what problems they were facing, uh, what they were trying to accomplish, and how you helped them uh, to improve their lives. So one of the services that we, we call it kids protection planning. Mm, Interesting. Um, And it's really guardianship. Like people will do a will and say they have minor children and they, you know, if the minor children can't inherit. So there has to be a trust of some sort, even if it goes through a will the court is going to set up a testamentary trust and then give yeah. whatever's left over to the children mm-hmm. when they're 18. Right. But do most parents really want their children to have a huge check at 18? No. No. So instead I of don't. letting the court just give the money away, yeah. we talk to them about one, setting up a trust for the child so that whatever, whether it be life insurance, who cares what it is, mm-hmm. you can have some parent, some sort of stipulations on this money so that they're not driving around in a red sports car. Right. So, walking them through setting this up, walking them through, what do you want them to be able to spend money on? Mm-hmm. But they never really thought about that. You don't know if they're going to have good judgment right. or not. And not that you want to helicopter them, but you just want to make sure that they don't get this money and it's not something that they can use for years. So yeah. we, we set out, okay, well, when do they get, they get 25% of it when they turn 25. Yeah. Then they can use it for certain things. It can pay for education. It can pay for this. The trustee can do all of those things. But just sitting down with them doing that. And then the other thing is thinking about guardianship if something happens to them. So who do you mm. want to raise them? Yeah. What do you want them to know? And do you want them to go to certain schools? Like, I think people feel like people know, but until they have to put it on paper, it's really hard for people to think through. Yeah. If I'm not there, do I want them to go to public school? Do I want them to go to private school? Do I want the guardians to have them go to church? Yeah. Do I want like, so sitting there and going through that with them really in one instance makes them, it's very difficult, but two, it solidifies the values that you have because you have to write it down. Right. So you feel like you know it, you feel like your spouse knows it, but when you have to put it on paper, this is what I want them to do if we're not here. It takes a while and it's really satisfying to, it's almost like at that point, we have our values and rules at a, as a family because we've, yeah. we've had to put it down. We know everybody is on the same page. We know exactly what we're doing. And it's yeah. so interesting to me to watch people go through that process right. because they haven't, sometimes they just don't talk about it beforehand. I think most people don't. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think most people don't. They spend more time planning their next cruise. Right. 
<laughs> so let's switch gears just a little bit. Um, I'm curious what your, uh, tell me about your first memory or experience with money. So as a kid or maybe as an adolescent, uh, I don't know, in college, can you think of a first experience or memory you have about money? I probably did not think about money until I was in college. Okay. Like my mother and my father talked about money, things like that, but I just wasn't, I didn't value it. It wasn't a big deal yeah, to me. Right. I don't know if we, we probably weren't that we well off, but I, I didn't know the difference. Right. Really. I had a good time as a kid. Um, yeah. I was able to do most things. So I didn't really think about it until my junior year. Well, what would have been my junior year of college? I wanted to go to school abroad. Okay. And my mother is a plan. There was no way she was going to let me do it unless I planned it out. So I found a budget. I figured out exactly how much it was cost. I put okay. it up on a board and I was uh -huh. like, look, it's the same amount of school. This is how much a ticket would cost. This is how long I would be there. I have to do a vaccination. I have to do this. I went yeah. through the whole thing because she was not going to let me go if I didn't plan it. And I just okay. knew. It. Okay. So I had to think about money. I, yeah. And then when I was there, I had to budget because she gave me a budget. I went there and I spent all the money she gave me for the semester in one month. Oh. And so I couldn't huh. ask her for any more money. I had to get a job. Right. So I ended up being a nanny, an au pair, okay. and it worked out. But like I had to, oh crap, this lady's not going to give me any more money. I can't go back now because I had right. on the spreadsheet. I bought yeah. all these clothes and did all this stuff and then I had to go get a job. So that was the probably the first real lesson or time I had to think about money because yeah. I was in the middle of France. She wasn't sending me anything else. Right. Yeah, that's very resourceful. So you know, money can have either a positive or a negative connotation, right? It's not, it's not really a positive or negative thing on its own. It's, it could be either. So have, have you seen the positive or negative effects of wealth and money when you're dealing with families going through certain life events? Mm -hmm. and, and if so, um, is there anything you can give us that might help prevent that frustration or that fighting or bad feelings? Mm -hmm circumstance can bring out the best or worst in us. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it ever has to do with money. Yeah. Really. Like mm -hmm. money is just the tool. Right. So if someone is going through a hard time financially, is it really the, the money or is it that they don't know how to deal with whatever the circumstance yeah. is? They don't have the tools, et cetera. So I think money gets a bad rap. <laughs> we blame right. it on money when it's really, we don't have good coping skills or we don't know what to do with certain things. So I know like when parents are in here and they're deciding they have adult children and one child is quote unquote more responsible than the other, but they don't want the other to be over or to be in charge of the, the second child's money. Because yeah. I tell them sometimes don't have, if you can avoid it, don't have one sibling be over uh, the trustee over the money right. for a minute because yeah. you're going to cause issues in the relationship. Yeah. And like, well, who, who should do it? I don't know, but, and it might not be about the money. They might not be more responsible, but money is what people use as an excuse to destroy yeah. relationships, to yeah. cause also. So anything that they can do to not make money, I guess the focal point, and I don't, I don't know if there's, I mean, it, it's a case by case. I don't know how you do it yeah. outside of having like in a, in a, um, estate planning situation, mm -hmm. having a third party manage it. Don't yeah. let siblings have to decide for another right. if you can avoid it. Yeah. Don't make that an issue because they can't get mad at the trustee if it's somebody at, you know, whatever financial right. company. They don't know that person. <laughs> yeah, right. They're you an know, so try and take, 
that out of the relationship as much as possible if they can. That's really good. I think that's really good advice. That's really good. Uh, I want to shift gears. So what would you say, Amber, is your biggest life accomplishment so far? So this could be personally or professionally. I'm giving you an out. You can go both ways, either way. Biggest life accomplishment. I can't say being a lawyer. I could. I mean, really, because that's the main thing. I, I literally had to come up with a whole new set of goals and what I wanted to do when I became a lawyer, because mm-hmm. that was the only focus. I, I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be. And then I was like, I'm a lawyer. So now right. what? Now what? <laughs> like, what am I supposed yeah. to do with myself? Right. So I think now we moved into a new office and you can see the windows like it's I have yeah. like a corner office, quote unquote. Yeah. We have staff, things like that. So I think my I feel most proud of building a business. Okay. Not just like building the law firm business because it's not in my nature. I'm an only child. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes I just want to close the door and not talk to anybody. But yep. it's <laughs> figuring out doing those things that are hard for the bigger goal. And um, so I'm just most proud of that. Just me being open-minded and being able to grow and try and build the law firm the way I want to, as opposed to just sitting there by myself complaining about it not working the way I want. Right. Yeah. Get in there and change it. Do what you got to do. Okay. And if you, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what do you think you would be doing instead? So I know you said when you were little, I wanted to be an attorney, but have you ever daydreamed? Is there other things, your professions that you thought you might like to go into? Did you ever have a plan B or other stuff you wanted to do? So I just like being around people. I told my mother the other day, when I was in school, I used to work at, I used to be a server, like everybody probably had a job at a restaurant. Everybody should do that. Yes. And I yeah. love being a bartender. I love, uh-huh. I love sitting there talking to people. I get to know all their stuff. Oh, yeah. Certain people, things like that. And it trained me in a certain way to, I think you learn humans. You learn people. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. every single kind of person coming to a restaurant. Some people might want to talk to you. You have to learn how to read people. This yep. person might not be in the mood. Or this right. is who I can joke around with. This is who I can't. This is who I should talk to. This is who's paying. So it just helps you with people skills, I yes. think, um, mm-hmm. doing that. And so I could go work at a restaurant and go work 10 bar and be just as happy and have a good time because I just like people are fun sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this was not planned. We're kindred spirits. So I bartended too mm-hmm. as well. And, and I fully agree with everything you said. I think everybody, at least restaurant business or something, should do that because of all those reasons that you stated so eloquently. That's really good. I want to talk a little bit about some things that you're involved in um, outside of your practice. All right. Um, Some things that you're really passionate about. So talk to me about enrichment prep. Where did you get that idea? What does it do? Okay. So um, I can't remember what year now I'm getting 2010. I started enrichment prep because so my homeroom teacher from high school called me after I finished law school, her son was taking the ACT and he Uh had taken it one time and he didn't do well. And so she remembered that the first time I took it when I was in high school, I didn't do well because I thought I was smart. I didn't pay attention to it. Just went and took it and I didn't get the score I wanted. Mm -hmm. And so I studied and I figured out how to take the test and I, my score went up really well. I got a a partial scholarship to school, things like that. And so she wanted me to help her son Mm -hmm. because the school, he wasn't that school in particular, which was very interesting. Just students didn't perform well on math. Huh. on any of the okay. tests. Um, and so I ended up 
helping him. He got into school. Um, his score went up really well. And then they asked me to come back and teach the, the class, like teach a class to the kids on how to take tests, do things like that. So it turned into a thing because I helped one or two students there. And then it was like, okay, well, now we got six and now we yeah. got 10. Then we had, so it turned into a business. It wasn't, the point was just for me to tutor that one child. Yeah, right. And then it turned into something. And then it turned into a business. It turned into enrichment prep. And we got some seed funding from a company called, well, a nonprofit called 100 Urban Entrepreneurs that was giving away $10,000 to business owners to start their business. And so I went and pitched and they gave me some money. And then we turned it into a business where I was at a few schools. And then that was in between. Um, after I finished law school, before I took the bar, I just went and okay. did that for a little bit because I, I needed a break. I didn't think it would be that long of a break, but I was having fun. And yeah. then decided, okay, well, I still want to be a lawyer, so I'm going to go back and take the bar and, and start. So I ended up closing the company down in 2013. But in between there, we ended up, I got a book deal with Peterson's to write a okay. book about test prep for okay. communities. So is that the one that was published, the Ahead of the Curve book? Yeah. Okay. All right. So the motivation behind that was what? Was it through the enrichment prep idea? Yeah, because I think that, I mean, I'd read studies. People have read one tests are probably biased. Uh huh. Great. All of that stuff. Like it is what it is. It it probably is. We can start a whole revolution and go. But at the end of the day, like right now, students have to take it. Mm. And so I think it's not necessarily what I found when I was studying and when I taught the other students is that it's not always about the content. It's about knowing how to take a test. Mm -hmm. The same principles apply, I think, taking any exam, whether it be the GRE, whether it be yeah. the bar, like some people just don't know how to take tests. They get nervous. Mm -hmm. They don't know mm -hmm. how to. And if you don't know anything about the test, how can you take it? If you don't know how many questions there are, what the yeah. what information is on it. You don't know how to allocate your study time, things like mm -hmm. that. So really, that's all I was teaching them. Okay, this is the test. You don't have to take it in order. You don't have to go one through 30. You don't have to yeah. take it and take the answer the questions that you know you're going to get right. So how right. do you know that? Well, analyze. And so teaching them how to break it down. I know I'll get this one right. So I'm going to do that first. And then I'll go back and do the other ones. And you take it in a way that maximizes your skills as opposed mm. to doing it the way that the test tells you to do it or in, in, in a linear way. And or the so, way, yeah. Yeah, it made them feel a little more empowered, like they knew how to take the test and they were taking it as opposed to the test taking them. Yeah. And confidence goes Great. a long way. Yeah, it sure does. When you feel confident about knowing what to expect, then your mind's definitely more prepared to, to perform. Mm -hmm. So is there a unique or interesting fact about Amber that very few people know? Well, I'd say... Everyone thinks I'm really tall. So I'm like five, eight and a half. I don't think that's okay. Tall, but my mother's six, one and my dad's six, eight. Wow. Okay. So I'm the short one. <laughs> yeah. No standards. Right. You're a, you're a shrimp. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh -huh. and, and I feel like in my mind, this is my justification for being short. When I was, I was like this height, I feel like in the seventh grade. Okay. And I prayed every day. Look, God, I don't want to be as tall as my mom. Yeah. Please stop growing. And I think. Right. That it just worked out because I willed it to happen. That yeah, that's I was right. growing because I'm the only child. I should be much taller than this. But I literally yeah. talked about it in my journal and everything every day. And I think the blessings were were shined upon. Yes, it was in God's will. Yes, for you yeah. not to be as tall as your parents. Yeah, perfect. Okay. And is there something that you're most excited about 
about your business right now. So biggest opportunity in your business or what you're the most excited about? It's very random. I feel like sometimes goals are random. Like I don't have a, if I have a revenue goal, it's just a number I made up. Yeah. And so one of the people who worked in my, we were talking about strategic planning and what's our goal. And I made up a really big one. And so I'm just excited to see. So I want to have the whole floor. I want our the oh. firm to grow big enough that yeah. in my building, that we, we have the whole 21st floor full of employees, right. full of staff. I don't know how the hell that's going to happen, but we're going to work on it. So I think yeah. it'll be fun and challenging. Awesome. awesome. Well, you, you can't achieve big goals unless you make them, mm-hmm. right? You got to see. And maybe come conversely to this on the flip side, what do you, what do you see as your biggest challenge in your business right now or in the industry? Biggest obstacle or challenge? Uh, biggest obstacle in my business is me. <laughs> okay. And then biggest obstacle, I think, in the law is some of this, like, lawyers are very intimidated, but there's a company called Trust and Will that does, like, online stuff. There's legal, all sorts of services. And so people feel like it threatens, you know, our revenue, but I don't think so. I think we're one of the, sometimes a computer can't give you the answers to things, the Uh, human part. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you still need a, a person. So I don't feel threatened by it, but I know a lot of lawyers are concerned about these low price options for people. Well, and I I guess I'd want you to elaborate on that. So what what do you think differentiates you specifically or your practice from someone just going online and doing that? Because a lot of the state attorneys that I talk to, they are worried about commoditization, right? So um, what do you think differentiates uh, you specifically or just the way that you guys work with people? I think the value part Mm -hmm. that we were Mm -hmm. talking about. I mean, I think if you think about what you're doing it for, who you're doing it for and what could happen, there's no way that a computer and it it maybe, maybe they can, can think of every single scenario that could possibly happen such that they go in there and you put the, you're getting the same document sometimes as somebody else is. Yeah. Now you might need that, but how do you know? You don't have a way to check. You don't have, it's just the computer spitting it out. For LegalZoom, you can pay additional money to speak to a lawyer on their team, yeah. but either way, you're still going to have to talk to a person. So yeah. there's ways to get it at a lower price. There's ways to talk to people or whatever the price is that you think it is. I think price is relative. It's relative right. to what you're trying to do, what you think yeah. is important. Yep. So I think for all of those things, I don't want someone who just wants a document spit out. Yeah. I'm probably yeah. the wrong lawyer for you because right. it's about relationship and trying yeah. to do something for you guys. So I don't mind it. Um, I just yeah. think it depends on what's important to the consumer. Well, and, and you probably heard this in the absence of value, that's when cost becomes important. Right. Right. Um, and I often think about like in my industry where there is uh, oodles of information online Lots of info, lots of knowledge, but what you're saying is spot on, which is where's the wisdom, mm-hmm. right? Where is that? That's that's not in abundance on the on the internet. The information and the knowledge is, but the wisdom on how it applies to them and whether it applies to them and whether they should do it or not, that's where it's irreplaceable. You're still going to need a person to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so do you think there's a question that I should have asked you, or is there anything you want to expand on from what you said earlier? I think you were pretty thorough. (laughs) I'd say (laughs) the only thing I'd want to expand on is that 
even if someone, whoever they are, doesn't think they need a trust or is concerned about whether or not they want to do those things, there's certain things that they absolutely have to have. So I think yeah. everyone has okay. to have a healthcare directive or yeah. a HIPAA waiver or a health attorney because we don't want, I mean, telling our age, every, I'm sure most people can look up and remember Terry Schiavo. You, I don't, I would never want my family to go through eight years of battling in court because they don't know what yeah. I would have wanted to happen to me. Right. So from a healthcare perspective in times of COVID and times without COVID, we still need that so mm-hmm. that it's clear what to do with my body if I can't speak for myself. Yeah. So I think everyone needs to get that same thing for a, a financial power of attorney of some sort. If you have a medical emergency, who's going to pay your bills? Can they get yeah. your bank account? What can right. you, well, those things need to be done. And if you're a parent, you have to outline what would happen from a guardianship perspective. If something mm-hmm. happened, who's going to take care of your children? Yeah. So those court, yeah. Those, yeah. those core documents are so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Regardless of someone's wealth or whether they think they need them or not, those have really don't have anything to do with that. It's mm-hmm. for those reasons that you mentioned, those are so important to have those as a baseline. So if people want to learn more about you, Amber, beyond our interview today, uh, what is the best way for them to contact you or to get connected? They can. I'm on Instagram. My Instagram is design your trust. Okay. Your trust. Um, they can go on the website and schedule a consult directly there. What's um, the website? www.naoulolaw.com. Okay. Um, if they want to get some general information for free about estate planning, we have a, a webinar that's constantly playing at your family planning session. Okay. And I think those are the easiest ways because they can get that information there. And then if they want at the end, they have the option to schedule yeah. some time. But yeah. All right. Great. Well, listen, Amber, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here today. Um, I've so enjoyed you sharing your story and your insights. Folks, we've been here with Amber Saunders. And thank you all for tuning in to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we are raising the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.